British Columbia is world-renowned for its natural beauty, diverse communities, and thriving culture. It's also known for being in the grips of a housing affordability crisis decades in the making, which has been compounded by a poison drug crisis and by the COVID-19 pandemic. The province has an ambitious plan to address the crisis through the largest investment in housing affordability in BC's history. Tasked with building tens of thousands of homes in hundreds of communities is BC Housing, the province's agency responsible for developing, managing, and administering a wide range of subsidized housing and homelessness services across the province. BC Housing doesn't do this alone. To address the challenge, they're working with hundreds of partners. In this podcast, you'll get to hear from those delivering innovative and exciting affordable housing solutions. I'm Sarah from BC Housing, and this is Let's Talk Housing. Welcome to Let's Talk Housing. In this episode, we are going to discuss BC Housing's collaboration with First Nations and Indigenous communities around British Columbia to provide quality, appropriate homes. I'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the ancestral homelands of hundreds of Indigenous peoples and nations across British Columbia, each with their own unique traditions and history. Today, I am on the ancestral and unceded homelands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, who have been the caretakers of these lands for thousands of years. We offer our respect to their peoples, past and present. Also in full transparency, this episode was recorded in October 2021 and reflects the issues at that time. Joining us today is Rod Hill, Director of Indigenous Asset Management at BC Housing. He works closely with First Nations in British Columbia to build partnerships that promote knowledge exchange about housing and asset management. Also with us is Michael Sadler, Director of Indigenous Relations for BC Housing. Michael builds relationships with Indigenous communities, identifies housing needs, and works to meet those needs with BC Housing programs and services. Rounding on our panel is Councillor Mark Thomas from the Shuswap Indian Band. Mark is a member of the Swekmek Nation. He sits on the Council for Shuswap Band and holds the portfolios for housing, aquatics, fish and forestry. Today, he is here to speak about Indigenous housing strategies and how they fit in with the agreement signed with BC Housing. Mark, before we start, I'd like to invite you to provide a traditional opening for our session today. Thank you, Sarah. Mark Thomas, Shushwap Indian Band. Creator, we look at your world and praise you for the, the diversity around us. Thank you for the gift of relationships, our connection with the people, animals, and the land. Help us, Creator, to see the differences and diversities as strengths. Help us to listen, to understand, to meet each other with wonder and anticipation. Reveal to us your way of reconciliation and guide us into bright relationships with all living things. Lead us to understand how Indigenous people have, have been and continue to be profoundly harmed by settler people and their institutions. Lead settlers to repent when denying Indigenous people respect, dignity and the fullness of life. Help us to listen compassionately, to speak humbly and to act justly. Help us to seek the peace, justice and reconciliation you desire amongst all of your children. Tukshjam, all my relations. Hi, Chika. Thank you for that, Mark. Michael, I'd like to start with you and get you to really help set the context for our conversation today. Now, uh, BC Housing has been around for 50 years, and that might sound like a long time to some folks, but of course, First Nations have been living on these lands for thousands and thousands of years longer. Can you 
help uh, explain to our listeners how BC Housing approaches building relationships with First Nations and Indigenous communities? Yeah, thank you, Sarah. I and mean, that's a really good question. It's a question that we've been answering now for a number of years. I've been with BC Housing for about six of those years. And um, in that time, uh, you know, my, my, like you described, my position is to build relationships and partnerships and, um, and, and then try to help identify what some of the housing needs are uh, across the province and with our, our communities, both on and off uh, reserve. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging work. And uh, I think one of the main reasons it's so challenging is just because the needs are quite diverse and there's a lot of need out there, especially in our communities. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really about, um, listening to the community, uh, what their needs are and then trying to identify a program that we have, um, or creating a program that isn't in existence, uh, to help better meet those needs. And I think that's one of the things that we've been uh, quite strong at is adapting our programs, our services, um, and, and listening. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've worked in other parts of government before where there wasn't uh, enough listening and it was mainly, this is our policy, this is our program and you've got to deal with it and you got to try and fit whatever need you have into that. And I'd like to, I'd like to think that BC housing is approaching it uh, kind of differently. And we'll hear from Rod and Mark, um, more about, uh, how that is put into action, but I'd like to think that we, um, we're, we're making a concerted effort, uh, on all levels of our, our organization to really listen and uh, extract information, learn, and then uh, try and adapt our programming to better meet those needs. Thank you, Michael, for for that context. And of course, um, Rod, I'd like to bring you in here because uh, this is the work that you do every day, really, is uh, listening and collaborating with our First Nations partners. Um, For our listeners, BC Housing has four MOUs with 19 First Nations throughout the province to collaborate and develop best practices, specifically when it comes to housing management and maintenance. Can you tell us a little bit about that program, Rod, and um, how it works? Yeah, the the MOU structure is really unique. It's the first of its kind anywhere in Canada. And the idea behind it, um, as I understand it, Michael, you can probably correct it if I'm wrong, but uh, um, the history behind our MOUs is that uh, um, as we were rolling out the Indigenous Housing Fund, as, you know, one of the first of its kind of a provincial program to offer First Nation housing, regardless where they wanted to place it. Um, as that happened, we also were successful in getting uh, funding for our benefit to support social housing. And that was a, a fund, uh, $1.1 billion to support um, BC Housing's projects because they were in dire need of investment. Um, to, and we were able to demonstrate to our provincial government, the the need to invest into our housing by having a really solid program of asset management. And we um, then learned from the communities, you know, it's great that you're offering us this Indigenous Housing Fund, but we see that you were able to successfully get government money by showing some, some needs here. Can you support us to do the same thing? So it was really Michael in, in collaboration with some of our leaders that was that that brought this program to bear, and uh, um, they brought me in three years ago just to uh, to um, make these uh, agreements work and to move forward with them. And at the time, we really didn't have much of an understanding of what the issues and barriers were. We just wanted to make a difference. We wanted to find a way to improve the quality of lives of British Columbians, and this was a, a seemed like a natural thing for us to do. 
Um, and uh, uh, part of that stemmed uh, the stem out of that was that let's see what we can do about offering that technical expertise. So, BC Housing, we have a fair amount of technical expertise. You know, fifty years of operating sixty five thousand plus units across the province, and we could take that knowledge that we've built up through that time and with that scale to say, how can we support our First Nation partners with that? And there's some things that we've learned that we can do, but other things that may not fit and we don't know what those are. So let's see if there's some willing people out there and we can work together. And uh, Mark at Shushwap is a great example. You know, they've been, they've been doing their housing and, and, and working with it for, for, for generations now. And uh, they've learned a lot of how to navigate through the Indian Act and some of the challenges that uh, um, federal housing programs have had in place with that. Um, and we could offer the technical expertise, but we had a lot to learn. So we really said, yeah, let's have a, let's have a partnership. Let's see what that looks like. And let's see what we can learn together and see if this improves the condition of housing for the communities and then see if we can learn some lessons to become a better partner in the future. Thank you, Rod. That's a great introduction to the memorandums of understanding, the MOUs that BC Housing has with First Nations. And I'd like to bring you in here, Mark, because you're with one of the First Nations that's implementing these MOUs on the ground. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why this agreement is so important for you and your community? Thank you. Yes, of course. Thanks for that introduction from everybody. Um, I can only speak for Shushwap Band, uh, but we are part of another um, group that uh, Rod had referred to earlier is, is four other Chinooka bands. So although you introduced me from, this, uh, from the nation, I only am representing my one band. Um, part of the uh, issues that historically uh, occurred uh, was the uh, the fact that we were only able to um, be allotted Section 95 programs. And these Section 95 programs were very limited in scope. They uh, didn't provide for uh, very many floor plans. Uh, um, I think there was only five floor plans that were available at the time. Much of the construction at that time wasn't uh, created for the climate or the uh, the conditions that they were put in. Um, there was issues such as the coast as you have saline, very wet conditions and, uh, in the interior, you have very dry, um, conditions. And so just those two factors and in the North, you have cold conditions. So there's th these three factors alone provide for differences in needs and housing. And, uh, based on that, um, those five, those five, um, plans, albeit were, uh, meant to be, uh, all-encompassing, didn't meet the needs of everybody. And maybe they did in one, one area where they were created, but that was about it. So um, what we needed to do was to be able to um, understand what those conditions are, that those houses are being built in, meet the needs of the people, whether it be cultural needs, whether it be um, climate needs or family needs. Another thing is that as the families grew, there was no opportunities to... Um, to make sure that the the uh, the houses were going to grow with the families, and so if you had a few kids born, what are you going to do? Uh, there was no programming available, uh, so you would typically put an addition on your home. Your addition was not um, up to code, mostly for the most part, um, and provided for uh, you know faulty wiring, things like that, which would typically end up as hazards. Um, some other um, issues that were going on there is that um, housing is not able to 
be uh, made into equity for the Indigenous people. So once that equity is not being made as it is in the real world from everybody, they don't have access to, uh, say, a second mortgage if they want to improve their home or improve their living conditions or even just borrow money against their home. That uh, home is currently held in trust by the federal government today and uh, continues to be. And so this continues to be a huge issue on how do we um, make it so that it's more, um, I guess, equitable for the person. Uh, it's more geared towards market-based homes. It's, um, it meets the needs of the people. That's currently not there right now. And uh, if we had the right programs in place uh, at the beginning, we would probably not be needing this, um, this podcast right now or the program that we're, we're discussing today. Such a good point there, Mark. And I really want to, to explore a couple of the themes there that you raised. Um, first, I'm thinking, Michael, um, if you could maybe talk to us a little bit more and help our listeners understand the complexities around um, land title, right? So Mark mentioned Section 95. He mentioned the role of the federal government. And right now um, in British Columbia, the provincial government is, in, is investing in housing on reserve. Sounds like a great idea. Sounds simple in, in practice, but for maybe for people that don't have as much understanding of the complexities of title, can you talk a little bit about how BC Housing is working with nations to address that? When we made the decision to open up our funding to go on reserve, um, that was a first of its, first of its kind in Canada, and um, it was the right thing to do again um, because you know um, British Columbians are, are British Columbians for for the most part. So, um, but there are differences when you go on reserve, such as uh, uh, Mark alluded to, um, it presents different issues. Um, and the, the, the issues vary, uh, for us to do our, the type of work that we do on our nation and the way that we typically fund projects now, um, there are some hurdles that we have to jump over that, um, we're not used to jumping over, um, well, maybe different hurdles off reserve, uh, because there's always, always hurdles. And some of them, some of them are similar, but there are specific ones on, on nation, um, you know, like, like we create, uh, like creating a mortgageable interest. Um, and, um, because as Mark alluded to, um, we don't own our land. It's held in trust by the crown. And, um, so it's, it's much different. We have to get, uh, because banks, for example, who, uh, we get the loans from, they want to see how, if something were to happen like a default, how they're going to get their money out of it. And if they don't own the, the land, well, then that takes that, that off the table. So we have to find different ways and means of doing that through different sort of instruments. And, um, some of those instruments are like, uh, ministerial loan guarantees, um, or, uh, using land designation. If a first nation has a land code already developed, that is much easier for us to work with because then, uh, it's the first nation that develops, uh, uh, their policies around, uh, land utilization. Uh, if it's treaty, it's even more simple because it's like fee simple land. Um, and so, yeah, uh, adapting a large organization like ours that has been used to doing their business a certain way for, like we said, 50 years, um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but, um, I think we've done a fairly good job so far, uh, in, in, uh, addressing some of those issues for sure. Rod, uh, one thing I'd like for you to build on a bit from, from what Mark was talking about is just the complexity really from a maintenance perspective, right? So, we're building housing, we're repairing housing in a diverse range of climates. Um, when you've been, when your team has been working with First Nations in those different parts of the province, what type of knowledge sharing is is taking place right now? And how do you think that's informing the delivery of housing services? Yeah, Sarah, that's a great question. And, and most of the reason why it's a great question is because the data just doesn't exist. 
um, well, if we look at where uh, the data currently comes from, uh, we're relying on census information that we don't know how accurate that is. Uh, honestly, the the realities of, of Indigenous responses to uh, census data is not really robust in, in the best of times, but we're relying on that information really to understand what, what where the needs are. Um, so from that perspective, in, in Canada across the board, uh, the number of homes um, uh, is almost one-third of all homes in, in across Canada. If they're on reserve, then they're in need of major repairs and or are overcrowded. Um, so that that speaks to a reality of, of that there's some significant systemic barriers that are in place that make it tremendously you know, difficult for Indigenous peoples to uh, access um, a safe, affordable housing that meets needs. Um, and um, I think Mark pointed it out as well, but I'll reinforce it. Um, because there, the number of floor plans that were available that were really kind of not appropriate for the local ecosystem, uh, some there's some real challenges that we have in, in British Columbia. Uh, so when we're talking to our groups, uh, we have the one agreement with Talaha and Shushwap in, in the in the Cranbrook area in the Kootenays. Really dry climate uh, can get pretty hot in the summertime. Um, um, we also have another one with uh, some First Nations and the communities in in the Merritt area. Uh, similar types of uh, of environment, uh, almost uh, desert like. Um, and those communities were at tremendous risk of forest fire this year. And then another community is in the north, the Nishka Nation, which is a treaty First Nation. So really different context again, um, but uh, right on the coasts. And so they have some marine climate issues and they have uh, climate change concerns about rising sea level and storm frequencies and, and storm intensities. So uh, it's really interesting to have the conversations with all the First Nations because it's, the needs are so diverse. It's incredibly diverse province with uh, with unique needs in each First Nation. Um, the other one that Mark pointed on, um, but I think we can really elaborate on, is that you know housing is not core funded by Indigenous services, and and what that leads to specifically in British Columbia as a unique item is that um, many communities in British Columbia are small. The median size of First Nation in British Columbia is two hundred people, um, and and that's small in the Canadian context. But then that means that your housing portfolio is small. So the nations don't get the economies of scale that are available to hire maintenance staff and to um, and to hire um, housing managers. Um, and so we have a variety of sizes of First Nations that we work with as well. So it's interesting to learn some of the challenges of the economies of scale. Um, and some of the challenges related to the housing manager position is that because it's not core funded by uh, Indigenous services, um, there's a large turnover in that position. So uh, 50% don't make five years. And I think it's within two years, like 30% don't make a 20 or 30%. But there's a large turnover and uh, lots, of, um, lots of positions where there's a lot, multiple responsibilities by the housing manager. Um, and it's a tremendously challenging position because you're really at cross purposes with the community when there's dire need of housing and the existing housing is usually in not great condition. Um, so there's supporting the housing managers to, um, to be able to make decisions on a proactive basis, put plans in place. Those things are really important and we're taking the steps towards that. Um, I, I saw that you caught the news of our uh, signing to become corporate partners with uh, corporate members of the uh, First Nation Housing Professional Association. So that's a new organization just started within the last few years. 
Um, and they're attempting to pr- put professional standards and training and programs in place for housing managers. And uh, we see that as a tremendous opportunity to support um, the communities. Uh, from the things we've learned already, the importance of a good housing manager can't be understated. So, Mark, Rod touched on some things here, and I'd like to bring you bring you in and have you respond to, to some of them. Rod mentioned that one third of the homes on reserve are in need of repairs or are overcrowded. And really, that's by design of our colonial system. So, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about how your band and including your, your housing managers working to address these inequities right now in your community? Yes, thank you. And I have to give a shout out to Dolores, our housing manager, who is fantastic, has done such an incredible job at my time and leadership. Um, I, I couldn't have asked for anybody better. I, I will put out there that uh, we have just completed um, the round of about 18 homes. Um, uh, the first round of 16 uh, was meant to be single or two-bedroom homes uh, built to standards of, um, of super efficiency. So uh, you could heat those with basically a baseboard heater and you would be able to be nice and warm almost all year. Uh, which is totally different standards than typically our wood-burning stoves that we would use. Um, our, you know, the windows, things like that weren't very uh, well put in or just weren't, uh, you know, up to, up to the code or, or what was needed for the climate. Um, typically, they crack or dry out or something like that. And then next thing you know, you got drafts and, uh, and bugs coming in, all kinds of stuff. That's what it led to. But um, uh, we are now going on to another five ho- homes that are family-based or modular in, in, in essence. But, but I will say that all of the funding that we've gotten to date has uh, been through either CMHC, uh, another, um, another uh, funding agency in the area. And, um, you know, like it's been in our own source funding, basically. We've had to go out and target these funds. Uh, we were lucky just on the last, on the last go-round. I mentioned the five home, uh, family-based homes. They will be fully funded by CMHC. Uh, this was some money that they had left over at the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, once again, those those modular homes, albeit they are better construction that we typically would have had, they're still not designed to what the owner would like. And so they're still limited by floor plans, by things like that. And so it's not typical of, of somebody getting a home and saying, oh, this is going to be my home. I'm going to build. I'm going to, you know, have my fireplace over there or whatever here. It's It's still set out for you. And so a lot of that is, is you know, it's somewhat having, the, um, you know, somebody telling you what to do all the time is not something that you're always fond of. And so that's how it still feels to some degree. And um, our housing manager is the one that goes out and, and targets all of those resources and seeks them down, chases them down and makes these agreements with the different uh, funders. And uh, we, we sign off as leadership to them. And so a lot of the dedication or sorry, so um, I guess the commitment and the hard work, the footwork is done by her. Um, and we appreciate that. And if you don't have somebody in house that can do that, doesn't know the system, doesn't know who to talk to, isn't well voiced, um, you're going to have limitations. And those limitations are going to be in the, in, this, in the sense that some people won't have anywhere to live. And so... That's those are huge setbacks, and that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. And so, to have a skilled person in that place is immeasurable. You need that person to have that knowledge, to have the the contacts, to know a little bit about housing itself and construction, about electricity, about plumbing, a little bit of everything. But if you don't have that, 
you're going to be setting yourself up for failure or, or you're just going to be spending a lot of time trying to get that person up to speed so that they can understand what needs to be done. And so uh, I, I uh, put a lot of um, emphasis on making sure that person meets your job description and make sure your job description is well as well uh, versed. Some really good tips and pointers there, Mark. Um, you know, Mike, Michael, I'd like to come to you just to, to wrap things up here for us. We've covered a lot of different really complex topics today. Um, when you take a look at, look ahead at what's coming, what do you think that BC Housing's priorities need to be for Indigenous and First Nations housing in British Columbia? The way that we're doing our business now is that we're going to listen and we're going to create those relationships and then we're going to let the Indigenous community set those priorities for us. Because we really are dealing with a system that was set up for, uh, for failure from the beginning. And... Um, and that system was really based on on funding housing through our income assistance program, uh, as opposed to off reserve, where housing is a wealth building program. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum, and and so, um, you know, you add to that that um, uh, you know there weren't programs for uh, maintaining homes. It was mainly just here's the money and and build the house and and hopefully you build a good one and good luck. And we're starting to see the uh, the. Uh, lasting effects of, of that kind of program now. And it's hitting us uh, right here, right now. And the work that Rod's doing, the work that we're doing in terms of putting up new housing on on reserve is um, is trying to address that. And I think that, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more learning that takes place. Uh, uh, but we're, you know, I'm excited as a, as a BC housing employee, I'm sure Rod is too, to to try and make that difference because as we know, housing is a critical need uh, all across our country and, and in particular on our First Nations. And um, we want to be part of that part of that solution and part of that change. And, um, uh, and I think we're on the right track to be able to do that. Thank you for that. We have just had a really wonderful conversation here today. Um, I know I've learned a lot. I, I'd like to thank uh, Councillor Mark Thomas, Rod Hill and uh, Michael Sadler for joining us on Let's Talk Housing. Let's talk again soon. To learn how to apply for subsidized housing in British Columbia, visit our website, bchousing.org. You can also call us at 1-800-257-7756. That's 1-800-257-7756.